Well, let's um, let's carry on where we should be, which is at the feet of Jesus. We've had a busy week, probably, um, and it's good to come and sit and choose that which is best at least once a week um, to sit at the feet of Jesus. So we'll we'll do so by turning to the Bible, turning to His Word, John chapter twenty, as we relive. The Easter story. John chapter 20, verse 1. It says, on early, on the first day of the week. Now, I didn't know this, but apparently the Israelites then, the Israelites now, Jesus' people, as they were then, didn't have names for the day of the week, like we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so forth. Did you know that the the Jewish people, they don't have names for the days of the week except for one, which is the Sabbath, yeah, Shabbat. They have day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, Shabbat. That's what they have. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes the day six is called the day of preparation, getting ready for Shabbat. So, but yeah, and when the Bible here says early on the first day of the week, now their Shabbat, their seventh day, lands on our Saturday. So the first day of the week, according to our week, would have been Sunday. Okay? Their first day of the week is actually now our seventh day of the week. But for them, it was their first day, which is our Sunday, hence Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, Mary was keen, wasn't she, while it was still dark? Or was it because she didn't want to be seen? Not by the authorities, at least. So she went early in the morning while it was still dark. Well, we don't know whether it was because she was so keen or she didn't sleep well that night or because she didn't want to be seen. But nonetheless, she was brave, wasn't she? Mary was brave, and she so loved her Lord Jesus. She so loved him. Now, Luke's account tells us that Mary Magdalene was one of the women who watched Joseph of Arimathea, and let's, let's hand out some chocolate. I've got some Easter eggs left over from Friday. Joseph of Arimathea, and who else was it who took the body? Nicodemus. Joseph and Nicodemus. Mary was one of the ladies. Whoops, have another one. Mary was one of the ladies who saw them take the body, wrap it in, in cloths, anoint him with spices, and place him in the garden tomb. Now, that's okay, you can uh, pass it to someone else. Now, I'm guessing that as she saw them and maybe even smelt the spices, do you think it reminded her of the time not long before? where Mary had anointed Jesus. She poured that expensive perfume over his head, his hair, and she anointed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So maybe that reminded. And what did Jesus say? In memory of Mary, he said, basically, leave her alone. What she has done for me there has prepared me for my burial. So actually Mary had prepared Jesus for his burial even before she realized 
that Jesus was going to be buried and that she was going to hurry to the tomb to continue preparing him, the body that is. But what happened? What about Nicodemus as well? Because Nicodemus was someone else who went to Jesus when it was dark at night, didn't he? What's happened to Nicodemus, do you think, to change him from someone who went to Jesus at night to actually someone who went to claim his body during the daytime? Something has happened to Nicodemus, hasn't he? He's more bolder than he was originally. And I wonder if Nicodemus thought it might be too late now. Because Jesus had told Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless... So I'm only hearing the people at the front. You should be at the front. Ready? <laughs> oh, well called. Okay. Now, unless you are born again, enter the kingdom of God like a child. That's, that's all we need to do, isn't it? Now, unless you are born again, Jesus said. Now, had... Nicodemus thought, what do I do now? How do I enter the kingdom of God now that the king is dead? It must have been such a long Saturday for the disciples as they waited, as Nicodemus waited. Verse, halfway through verse 1. But Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Who's the they? Who's the they that Mary is talking about? Mm. So Peter... And the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, which is John, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what did John believe? He didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He believed what Mary had told him, that they have taken the body. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Sorry, here. Yeah, sorry, they asked her, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus did that to other disciples as well, didn't he, on the way to Emmaus. And what Jesus is doing, I think, is getting people used to him being there, but they're not physically seeing him. I'm there. You can't see me with your eyes, but you can know me with your heart. He asked her, woman, 
Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. I wonder if you've ever heard Jesus say your name. She turned round to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on me, on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Isn't that amazing? Maynard pointed that out this morning, didn't he? This transformation, suddenly, his Father is now their Father as well. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Excuse me, excuse me, are you Mary Magdalene? Um, yes, I'm sorry. Who are you? Oh, I'm Bob Jones from the Jerusalem News. I'd just like to ask you a few questions about the disappearance of the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, you're one of the twelve disciples. I'll, I'll fetch them for you. No, no, I want to interview you. Me? You want to interview me? If you wouldn't mind. But I'm a woman. Nobody wants to interview a woman. On the contrary, we think you have a lot of information that our readers would want to know. Very well. What did you want to know? Is it true that you were the first person to discover that the body was missing? Yes, I was. The Jewish people have said that the body of Jesus was stolen to make it look as though Jesus rose from the dead. What do you think? That's not true. How do you know? Because I saw Jesus alive outside of the tomb. You what? I saw Jesus alive. How do you explain that? Well, obviously, Jesus rose from the dead. You think he rose from the dead? I don't think he did. I know he did. But how can you be sure? Well, for one thing, before he died, he predicted that he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. He predicted it? Yes, several times. I thought it was common knowledge. Just because he predicted it, it doesn't necessarily mean that he did. Well, I don't know why it's so difficult to believe. It's common knowledge all around that Israel that Jesus raised at least two other people from the dead. When did Jesus predict that he would be crucified and raised from the dead? Well, not only Jesus, but King David in the Psalms described the piercing of his hands and feet that sounds like crucifixion to me. Hmm. But David wrote the psalm hundreds of years ago before crucifixion was invented. How could David, how could anyone know about crucifixion before it was invented? No mere man could, but God knows everything. Hmm. But you're saying that Jesus himself predicted his, his own crucifixion in advance? That's right. 
Are you saying that Jesus was a prophet who spoke for God? I'm saying that Jesus is God. Hmm. May we quote you as saying that Jesus is God? You may quote Jesus himself as claiming to be God. The reason the Jewish religious people had Jesus executed was because he, a mere man, claimed to be God, the I am of the burning bush. Let me get this right. You're saying that Jesus was claiming to be God. Not was. He still is. He's alive. But that's pretty unbelievable statement. Jesus was a carpenter from Galilee. How could he be a man and God at the same time? God can do anything. And you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I saw him alive with my own eyes. I grabbed him by the ankles and kissed his feet after he rose from the dead. Isn't it true you have a history of mental illness? <laughs> if you're implying that my testimony can't be trusted, you're wrong. My apparent mental illness was caused by demons, but Jesus exercised my demons. I can assure you that I am now as sane as you are. So you're still insisting that Jesus is God himself? God says repeatedly in the scriptures that there is no saviour but himself. The scriptures also say that no one rules the wind and waves but God himself. Jesus calmed the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. He raised people from the dead, including himself. How could there be any doubt? Well, there is a rumour around that you and the other women who discovered the empty tomb went to the wrong tomb. What did you have to say to that? Two answers. First, immediately after the crucifixion, all the women who witnessed the crucifixion followed the body to the tomb. We sat there for at least an hour while Joseph's servants anointed and wrapped the body for burial. We knew where the tomb was. Second, if we did go to the wrong tomb, the Jewish elites would have gone to the right tomb and produced the body to refute the resurrection story. But they didn't. They came up with the lame story about the body being stolen. But what do you say to people who claim that Jesus really wasn't dead when he was buried, that he was unconscious and the cold tomb revived him? Anyone who believes that has never attended a crucifixion. Crucifixion was invented by the Phoenicians and perfected by the Romans as a cruel and certain death by suffocation. Nobody gets down from the cross alive. But if Jesus did survive, Roman law requires that the centurion in charge of the crucifixion must be crucified on the same cross that Jesus used do you see any centurions hanging from a cross? Well, no. In fact, the same thing holds true for the soldiers who were guarding the tomb. If they fell asleep, as the story goes, they would be hanging on a cross right now. Do you see any soldiers hanging on a cross? Well, no. Are you absolutely sure that the man who claimed to be raised from the dead was Jesus himself? After all, Jesus was repeatedly beaten by both the temple guards and, the, and by Governor Pilate's soldiers. They beat his face with their fists and plucked out his beard by the roots. When he was buried, he was a mess. So how did you recognise him? Well, first of all, he called me by name. I'm Galilean, and nobody in Jerusalem knows me by name. Second, 
I've been listening to Jesus preach for nearly three years. I would know his voice anywhere. But earlier you said that Jesus repeatedly predicted his own death. That's right. Jesus is God. Why would he come to earth knowing that he would die? That's why he came. Are you saying that Jesus died willingly? That's right. Why would he do something like that? The ritual sacrifices in the temple demonstrate that the shedding of blood is necessary to pay for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for our sins. The only blood that can cleanse all of us of all sins for all times is the blood of God himself who created us. But no one would blame God if he didn't suffer and die. Why did he do it? For the same reason that he created us. Because he loves us. Are there any other questions? He's alive, he's alive, he has risen. <laughs> Don't you know that one? No? no? Some of you will know him. All right, see if you can guess these, the, the name these two songs at least. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the son of heaven rose again. O trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. <clears throat> nope, it's not in Christ alone. Up from the grave. No, nope, it's oh praise the name. <clears throat> How about this one? Up from the ashes, hope will arise, death is defeated, the king is alive. Yeah, no, it's raise a hallelujah. If I do up from the grave, do you just want to shout up from the grave? All right, okay. The king is alive. Amen. Now, can we just go back very quickly to a section in Good Friday? I just want to show you something in Good Friday about the king. John 18. Go back a bit from John 20 to John 18. Verse 33. John 18, verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Now I wonder if Pilate had heard or maybe even have witnessed the chaos that went on on that Sunday before, when the crowds were laying down their coats, they were waving palm branches, they were singing or shouting, Hosanna, God save us, and Jesus came riding on a Harley into Jerusalem. A donkey called Harley. Didn't you know that? No? Well, actually, it was the cult of a donkey called David. Harley Davidson. Oh, okay. All right, no. 
Maybe Pilate heard that Jesus had come riding on a donkey and that there was chaos and that people were quoting from Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Maybe he'd heard people quoting that passage saying, This is the Messiah. He's, he's fulfilled. Zechariah 9.9, maybe. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34, is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people chief and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Good question, Pilate. What had Jesus done to be flogged, beaten, and then crucified? What had Jesus done to deserve that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. However, in hindsight, we know that was the whole point of him coming. That he would deserve nothing to die for. But yet he would take everything on himself to die for. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He was the spotless Lamb of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that had come to take away the sins of the world. So when Pilate said to Jesus, what have you done? The answer is absolutely nothing. And that's the whole point. Okay, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Folks, is Jesus a king? Or is he the king? He's the king, isn't it? Who do you say Jesus is? Pilate said, you're a king. Do you say that? He's, he's someone, he's a prophet, he's, or do you say that he is the king? Because it is so important what you say Jesus is. Jesus knows who he is. What you say about Jesus does not change Jesus at all. But what you say about Jesus can change everything about you. Whatever you say about Jesus, it doesn't change him at all. But what you say about Jesus can change everything about you. The Bible stresses this in Romans 10. You don't have to turn there, but it says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you are profess your faith and are saved. With your heart you believe and are justified, with your mouth you profess, you speak, and you are saved. What does your mouth profess about Jesus? Because it's so important. Verse 37, halfway through verse 37. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. That's another good question, Pilate. That's two good questions, even though that one was rhetorical. If Pilate really knew who he was talking to, an even better wording of what is truth would be, 
who is truth? Because that evening before Jesus got arrested and before Pilate, Jesus was saying something about truth. Can you remember what Jesus said to his disciples about truth? John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not what is truth, but who is truth. So what is the answer to Pilate's question about is Jesus a king and what is truth? The answer is Jesus is the king. Actually, in the book of Revelations, it says that he's the king of kings. It also says he's the king of nations. He's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's the king of nations. And he's not just a truth. He's the truth. Has your heart ever believed and your mouth ever professed that Jesus is the king of kings? But it is so important that you do. He's the king who on Good Friday was crowned with thorns and died on the cross under a sign that said, the king of the Jews, sarcastically. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, now crowned with glory as the king of kings. He's the son of God who died as the suffering king so that he could resurrect as our saviour king. He's the king of the universe who left his throne in heaven to be born into the world as a human being like you and I, to take the punishment of my sins so that my sin may no longer lure me into hell, but the Son can lead me to heaven. Because that's where I was before Jesus died for me. That's where we all were. That's, that's where, I was, where I was going. I was heading to hell. My will be done. Instead of his will being done. He who knew no sin would become my sin so that my sins would no longer separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is my king. Is he your king? Do you believe in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is the truth, he's the only way to the Father, and that he is the King of kings? What do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth about Jesus? Having met Jesus, Pilate was in a quandary. In that moment, Pilate was not convinced that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He might have been a king. He might have been speaking some truth. But Pilate was not convinced. But neither was Pilate convinced that Jesus should die. So what did Pilate do? He publicly washed his hands, hoping to absolve himself from guilt in some way. Folks, you cannot sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus and what you believe in your heart and what you profess with your mouth. There's no sitting on the fence. Pilate thought he could sit on the fence and somehow washing his hands would absolve him from guilt. The trouble is, absolution, 
whether it's Pilate's, yours and mine, or anyone else's, cannot come any other way except through faith in your heart and confession with your mouth that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's my suffering servant who died on Friday and resurrected as my saving King on Sunday. Both criminals crucified either side of Jesus initially mocked him. That was until one of them eventually became convicted, hushed the other criminal, and what did he say to Jesus? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Suddenly, one criminal who was mocking him with the other one suddenly realized, well, he is the king. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus reply to that one man? Today, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Have you accepted Jesus as your king yet? The repentant criminal had been his own king right up until that point. Just like you and I are our own king until the point when we choose Jesus to be king. We abdicate from our own sense of self-righteousness and we give Jesus his rightful place as the king of our heart. Because there's only room for one king in your heart. That's the way God made you. It's him or it's you. Is it you or is it Jesus who's the king of kings for you? Now, the day I accepted Jesus as my saving king is the day my purpose became clear, my hope became sure, and my eternity secure. The Bible says it's appointed once a person to die and then face the judgment of God. And if in this life you have not put your trust in the king of kings, when you face him on your day of judgment, Do you know what Jesus will have to say to you? He doesn't want to. But do you know what Jesus will have to say to you? To anyone who doesn't accept him as king of kings in this life? Something along the lines of, away from me. I never knew you. Does the king of kings know you? Because that happens when you recognize who he is. Just like the repentant criminal. It's our sin that separates us from the holy God. Even the best of us have broken his Ten Commandments. Not even a lifetime of good deeds can cover up just one of our sins. I loved what Johann said. You know, we look at the stars, but you can't see them when the sun shines. Our sins are so many, and we cannot hide them. The only thing that hides our sins is Jesus. His blood. But this is why Good Friday is so good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, believes in their heart, confesses with their mouth, does not perish but has eternal life. Jesus, the suffering king, was separated from God on that cross carrying my sins so that he could become my saving king. 
so that I won't, once I put my trust in him, I needn't ever be separated from him again. When I made Jesus my king, his sacrifice washed away the record of my sin. And it does so every day. And on my day of judgment, because I've claimed his forgiveness and made him my king, even though I'm not perfect like him, he can rightfully and justly say to me, David, welcome home. I know you. Come in. To face judgment day without Jesus your king is like having to jump out of an airplane, refusing to put on the parachute that's beside you, expecting to save yourself by flapping your arms in your own righteousness. I'm a good person. God is loving. He'll see sense. If Jesus is not yet your king, don't leave it to the last minute like the repentant criminal. Or even worse, don't wait until it's too late. Don't look at the parachute and think, I might put that on one day. You never know when you'll suddenly have to jump. You already put your trust in doctors, in pilots, in bus drivers. Put your trust in Jesus, who is the King of Kings, and came and did all that for you. Who loved you so much, he died 2,000 years ago on Good Friday as the suffering king and resurrected on Easter Sunday to become your saviour king.